Last week, we started the book of Joshua. Amen? We talked about the death of Moses. We talked about that change of leadership. We talked about what it takes to move on. Right? Today, I want to I go into something even a little bit deeper. I want to talk about beholding the promise of God. Now, some of you have just prayed for God to deliver, and God has delivered. Some of you have prayed for a long time to be delivered, and deliverance is coming. Some of you are still praying. You're praying for husbands or wives. You're praying for family members that don't know Jesus yet. You're praying for children that you're worried about. You're praying for grandchildren that you're worried about. Some of you have friends far away that are going through hard things. Today I want to talk about what the Word of God has to say about the promise of God. Here's my charge to you. When you hear this today, you need to go this week and tell this to somebody. I am charging you to be like me. An ambassador, a witness, a testifier of God's goodness. Because when you see this, every one of us who's been touched by Jesus Christ will be able to relate to some aspect of it. Amen? So if you, get a, if you get a blessing today, your charge is you must bless somebody else this week by sharing the word of God with them. We are in Joshua chapter 2 this morning. Joshua chapter 2, 1 through 7. Three things I want you to see in the chapter today. The first is this. You must see God's protection. See God's protection. Some of you live in dangerous places. Go through dangerous streets and alleys. Some of you need the protection of the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. If you drive on Capitol Boulevard, you need the protection of the Lord. Been there, done that. Thank you very much. See accidents every week, and I say, thank you, Jesus, it ain't me this time. Okay, Joshua 2, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Right here. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. Now the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said to them, she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I did, didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the gates were about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they are going. Chase after them quickly if you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax and she had arranged, that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road in the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as they left to pursue them, the gates were shut. Take your mind back. Here is Joshua, one of only two adult men who had seen the promised land. Joshua and Caleb had been in the promised land, but that was 40 years ago. 40 years ago, they had started that journey to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness again and again and again until all who had sinned against God had died. Only two men were left. Why did Joshua send in spies? That's why it happened them in trouble last time, right? Last time they sent in 12 spies and they came back and they got divided and the people lost heart in God. Why do that again? Why do it again? I'll tell you why. Because he knew that in 40 years things can change. Amen? When did you start following Jesus? Count it back. Two years ago. Five years ago. Ten years ago. How much of the world has changed in ten years? A lot. When I went to school as a young child, 
You stood up every morning. You said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Even though I was born after the cursed year when we lost prayer in the public schools. That's the cursed year. In fact, they lost prayer in the public schools the year I was born. I never went to a school where you could pray openly. It's a sad thing. But there was always a time for prayer. There was always a time encouraged when you could collect your thoughts before the day. I grew up in that day and time. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen? That's how it went every morning. Nowadays, there are schools that don't do that. There's no American flag in the classroom. They're afraid of offending somebody. There's no mention of God in the classroom. They're afraid of offending somebody. Well, guess what? That offends me. You know why? Because God is still God. Things change in even 10 years or 20 years. It had been 40 years since Joshua had walked in the promised land. It was only wise before taking the people in, before sending them through, to send in two spies, two men that Joshua knew had the heart for God, had the faith in God. He sent them in and said, go and look at the land, especially Jericho. Why Jericho? Because Joshua had been there before. He knew their first obstacle after crossing the Jordan was going to be Jericho. Let me ask you right now in your life, talking about the protection of the Lord, what is your Jericho? Name it. Write it down on that bulletin. Write it down on a piece of paper and say, my Jericho is. What is your Jericho? Financial. Emotional. Job. Husband, wife, children, co-workers, family that are lost. What is your Jericho? What is the massive walled city that you encounter in your faith that has you stumped and has you afraid? What has stopped your growth? What has stopped your progress? They would be afraid to approach Jericho because of its size, because it was huge, it was walled. We have the wreckage of Jericho now. Archaeologists have found it. The walls were massive. The walls were massive. They had a reason to be afraid of it. If they tried to pass it, after going past the Jordan to pass Jericho, they would have been attacked. But they were told to take the land, all of the land. And that was the very first obstacle, a giant walled city. In your Christian life, what are you facing that is like Jericho to you? What is it that terrifies you? Now look at this. He sent out two spies from the Acacia Grove, go and scout out the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. These are still Israelites. They have laws about prostitution. They have laws about foreign women. Why would they go to the house of a prostitute? Because there they would be safe. God led them there because that was the place they were supposed to be. Was it by chance they just happened to walk up to the door of a woman who was a prostitute who would let them in? Was it by chance? No. Is it by chance that you're here today? No. It's not by chance. God brought you here today for a reason. Because in his word, young man, young woman, there is something for you to learn. There is something to change your life, and you're going to encounter it here in his word. So they came to this woman, this prostitute. Of course, in those days, houses of prostitution were marked. You knew what they were. You knew that people oftentimes went in and came out. If you went anywhere else, it would be suspicious. So God led them to a place where it would seem like they wouldn't be detected. Now the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. 
How did they know the Israelites were there? Og, the king of Bashan, had gotten creamed. Sihon, king of the Amorites, wiped out by who? By the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan. The king of Jericho was not blind. He knew these people were massive and they were dangerous and that their God went before them. So, of course, when you wipe out two of the biggest kings in the area, what's everybody going to do? They're going to watch you. Just like if you start walking in your faith, if you start walking boldly, people are going to watch you. They're going to watch to see if you trip up, to see if you fall, to see if you make a mistake. Guess what? Don't worry. You will. You will make a mistake. You will fall. You will have bad days. You will have outbursts. You will have things that go wrong. And that's okay. God's big enough to handle it. Amen? But you see, the king was watching him, so he watched them come across the Jordan. He watched them come up to the gates of the city. And they knew what they were there for. The king knew. So he sent out his men. He sent, out, he sent word to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to investigate the whole land. You know what amazes me? Think back to another city, another evil city. Think back to a, a man named Lot. Lot was the only godly man living in an evil, fallen city. Yet, where was he the day the angel of the Lord came? He was at the front gate. Was it an accident he was at the front gate? No. God had prepared him to be in that place to receive those angels that he and his daughters might be saved. Like I said, it's not an accident you're here today. You're here because God has prepared something for you. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll get it. I love how he does this. Even as Lot met the angels coming into the destruction of the city, he was there to be saved. It was no accident the men found their way to the house of a prostitute. But look further. But the woman who had taken the two men in hid them. You know, they came and they asked her, where are these guys? They come in to spot the city. She lied. Why would she lie? What would motivate her to lie for these men? She could have gotten gold for them. She could have sold them out. She could have passed them over to the guards and they would have rewarded her richly. Why lie? Consider this. Was it wrong for Rahab to lie? Was it wrong for her to lie? This bothers a lot of people. Was it wrong for Rahab to lie to the guards and say, no, they're not here. They were here, but when it got dark, they left and they ran out the gate. I don't know where they're going. It's a lie, right? We're not supposed to lie. Why'd she do it? Consider this. If you were a German living in Germany in 1936, the guy with the ugly mustache had risen to power. Now we're getting closer to 1940. Suddenly they're rounding up all the Jews. 41, the smell of death is coming out of Auschwitz and Buchenwald. And they're coming for the Jews. Would you hide one in your home if you knew it was wrong to let them die? Would you hide them? If you hid them, you would have to lie. Look at how many Jews were hidden in in cupboards, were hidden in false floors, false walls. Look at how many survived because Jewish men and women lied to their government. They lied to the police. They lied about knowing anything. Why did they do it? Consider this. If you go all the way over to Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter and John are standing in front of the Sanhedrin, right? And they said, you will not speak in the name of this Jesus anymore. You won't do it. Don't mention him. Don't talk about him. 
What did they say? Did they say, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, I will do whatever you tell me, just don't beat me. They said, look, whether it is right in the eyes of God for us to listen to you or to him, you decide. But I can only say what I've seen and heard. You see, they stood for what was right, even though it was contrary to what the government and the high priest and the Sadducees and the Pharisees wanted. It's always right to obey God's word and to protect God's people. How close would we stick together if persecution came to this country? How tightly would we band together if it became illegal to meet in a public place and worship God? I know Elmer's thinking, Elmer's thinking, this is never going to happen. This is America. We have laws. Yeah, they had laws in Germany, too. They had a lot of laws in Germany until the guy with the ugly mustache started to change the laws. And the people said nothing. The guy in the mustache, he canceled Christian meetings. He, he canceled all these different religious services. And nobody said anything. He came to start persecuting people, and the church of its day said nothing because they were obeying the government. When they got to Nuremberg after the war and they put all the Nazi war criminals on trial, I know a bunch of pastors that should have been up there as war criminals too because they said, we're just following orders. There's only one orders that matter, people. That's God's orders. The protection that is around you today is the protection of God's preparation. God prepared in advance for a prostitute named Rahab to be at a place in a time to receive two spies. Isn't that amazing? There were two angels that came into Sodom and Gomorrah, and there was two men that came into Jericho. She was there to receive them. But why? Why did she receive them? Take a look at the next point. Joshua 2, 8 through 14. If we have seen God's protection, we need to see God's preparation. Protection comes through preparation. Look what it says. Before the men fell asleep, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. That's a big statement. A Canaanite hooker says, I know that the God of heaven has already given you this land. She may have been a prostitute, but she wasn't stupid. She could see what was happening in the world. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking before you. Sound familiar? For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please, swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family, because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours if you don't report our mission. We will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. I call that preparation. How did God prepare for the spies to enter the land? He prepared the heart of a woman. A woman whose house under normal circumstances would see many men come and go. And nobody would notice. 
a woman who saw the truth of what was happening in the world. Word had already reached the people of Jericho that the Israelites were coming, that Og and Sihon were destroyed. These were powerful kings. I believe it was Og of Bashan whose bed, whose bed was 12 feet long. This was a massive, powerful man, a remnant of the giants left behind, the last of them. No one should have been able to defeat him. How did the Israelites beat these mighty kings of the Amorites? Because God went before them. Anything that you do in this life, that you do for the Lord, God has already prepared you to do it. He has given you the mind. He's given you the talent. He's given you the tools. He's given you the opportunity. He's given you everything you need. And you need to realize he's even prepared the people that you're going to share Christ with. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, my family doesn't believe in Jesus. My family worships false idols. Guess what? God can't prepare them so that at one word from you, one word, they will fall on their knees and receive Christ. Because we don't bring anyone to Jesus. You realize that, right? We don't bring anyone to Christ. We sow seeds. We water seeds. The Holy Spirit does all the work. Y'all should be saying amen at that because that means you're off the hook. You say, I've been sharing Jesus with my family for 20 years. Well, guess what? In the fullness of time, God will do what God is going to do. You don't worry about it. You be faithful to do your job. You let God do God's job. Amen? That way you don't bear the burden of it. You don't bear the weight of trying to save people that you can't save. You can't save them. Only the Holy Spirit can. But you have to plant and water. These men had to enter the promised land. They had to enter the city as if they owned it already. They had to walk into the place that God had prepared for them. And they had to say, here we are. And when the guards came, they didn't turn coward. They didn't run. They hid as they were told. And they were saved, prepared for. Now, I like what it says this. The terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. What's coming out of Rahab's mouth? It's not fear. It's faith. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute, but she had faith that the God of Israel was the God of heaven. She was given many idols to worship. She was given many gods. Astaroth, Molech, Baal. Terrible gods, horrible gods. Gods who exacted terrible things from their worshipers. Molech was so terrible that you had to take your firstborn child, or one after that, you had to take that child up to a bronze altar, and the bronze altar was a bowl that sat in the hands of a great bronze god, and beneath it was a fire stoked up, and to show your love and devotion, you would throw your living child into that bowl of white hot bronze and cook that child alive. That's the worship of Molech. That's the Canaanite way of doing things. She had all the ways in the world to earn her salvation by following her gods. But when she heard about the God of Israel, when she heard the good news that there was a God who saves his people from Egypt, who brings them through the Red Sea, who defeated the kings, the mighty kings of the Amorites. Let me ask you, what God do you serve today? Do you serve a God out of fear? Do you go out of fear that he will punish you if you don't come? That you, you do it out of fear because you're afraid that if you don't pray, if you don't tithe, if you don't show up, that somehow God's going to punish you? God is not a God of punishment. 
He is a God of deliverance. Even for a Canaanite prostitute, he's a God of deliverance. This was her faith speaking. She was saying that she believed in who God was and what God could do. Now look at that, that next part. He goes over there into, into verse 12. Now please swear to me by the Lord, and she keeps invoking the name of God. Swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family because I show kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. And talking about preparation, we talked about preparing Rahab in order to receive the spies to keep them safe, right? Didn't God prepare her to be there at that time with her faith and fear to motivate her to welcome the spies in and to give them a safe place, to hide them and to misdirect the guards? But there was also another preparation there. They were preparing Rahab to receive salvation. Yes, she was the instrument by which the spies were saved. But they were bringing to her a saving knowledge of the God of Israel. You know whose genealogy Rahab winds up in, don't you? You want to have fun? If, if, if you guys are into genealogy, like a lot of Americans are into genealogy, oh, my great-great-grandmother was Catherine. You ever notice that nobody's great-great-grandfather was like a murdering rapist or a tyrant or Vlad the Impaler? Nobody has horrible people in their, in their family. We always related to kings or queens or princes or somebody like that. I see, I have some queens in my family, but not that kind. Anyways, um, y'all got that one, huh? Anyways, here's the thing. Look in the book of Matthew. Read the genealogy of Jesus and guess who shows up? This woman. This prostitute, this Canaanite cursed people, descended from people who burned their children alive, she is listed in the genealogy of Jesus because her faith was that powerful. Yes, God put her there to save the spies. They put the spies there to save her, to lead her to a knowledge of who God was and what God was doing. She may have felt unworthy. She may have felt dirty because of her lifestyle. She may have felt like nobody could ever love her until she heard of a God so powerful that he could bring down kings and empires. And once the Israelites came, and once she experienced that salvation, she realized that this was a God who could erase her past and give her a fresh start, give her a clean beginning. How many of us need a clean start? The question was asked this week, if you deal with somebody who's a pagan, someone who's not a Christian, not a believer, how do you come at them? How do you tell them about Jesus? That's how you tell them about Jesus. That his love was so great that he allowed a woman's heart to be touched and moved, not just to save his messengers, but that his messengers might save her, to lead her to a saving faith. You might be the spies, and right now your life needs somebody to intervene for you on your behalf, right? You need someone to come in and give you what you need to be safe and to be whole and well. But guess what? You're being prepared for more than that. Whether you're the spy or you're the prostitute, the preparation is the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you see the point I'm making? I always worry that you don't see these amazing connections because to me it's what keeps me doing what I do. I, I live to write sermons. I live to study because I see connections that I've never seen before. I see things come out of the Word of God that I've never experienced before and it just encourages me more and more every day to be everything I can for this Christ who saved me. What a blessing. She was there to save his people. His people were there to
to lead her to save salvation. All right, let's wrap it up. Joshua 2, 15 through 24. So if we're going to see anything in our passage today, we need to see God's protection. He kept them safe all the way into the promised land, all the way to the door of the prostitute, hid them under the flax in the top, and they were safe. He protected them. He prepared Rahab to provide that place, but also to receive salvation. Finally, we need to see God's provision in this passage today. See his provision. Joshua 2, 15 through 24. Then she, came, then she let them down by a rope through a window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Now understand that. We don't think of walls as typically being places where people lived, but her home was built into the wall of the city, and her windows faced outward. So by opening that window onto the open wall, she could lower them down to safety and they could escape without going through the gates. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return afterwards. Go on your way. Three days. Three days in the grave, three days in the belly of the whale. Amazing how God does things in three days, isn't it? The men said to her, we will be free from this oath that you have made us swear unless when we, okay, we will be free from this oath that you made us swear unless when we enter the land you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your mother, father, brothers, and your family's family into this house. Now notice this. You've read it before. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his blood will be on his own head and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in your house should be harmed, his blood will be on our heads. i got to stop right there. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Mark your window in the wall of the city with a scarlet cord. When you think of a scarlet cord, a piece of scarlet rope, what do you think of? Well, scarlet is blood red. Who else do you know marked their dwelling place with blood. The Israelites escaping from Egypt. Remember? Mark the doorposts and the lentils of your home with this blood that the avenging angel might pass over. The avenging angel was Israel. They were about to decimate and destroy the entire town. He said, mark your dwelling with this scarlet cord and we will know that this is your home and we will pass by. Their job was to kill every man, woman, and child animal, insect, hamster, kill everything in Jericho. They had to kill everything. Except the people in that home marked by that cord. And notice he says this. He says, if anyone goes out of your doors, their blood's on their own head, but if they stay inside and are harmed, it's on our, it's on our heads. Who else did God tell that to? The Israelites. Stay in your home. Mark your doors. Let this place stand for my righteousness. Mark it with the blood of the, of the lamb. If you stay inside, you're safe. If you go outside in the streets, when the, when the death angel comes, what's going to happen to you? Even if you? Even if you believe in the house, if you're outside the house, what happens? You die. Guess what? You can believe in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and still die and go to hell. Stop and let that sink in. You can believe in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and still die and go to hell. How is that possible? 
Aren't we saved by grace through faith? Yes. Think back to your old hymns. But it's only to those to whom the blood is applied. Just because I know a lifeboat will save me, if I stay on the Titanic, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. God put the lifeboat there. I'm on the Titanic here. I know the lifeboat can save me. If I don't get in the lifeboat, whose fault is it that I'm dead? Me. My fault. You can know in your head that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can know in your head that by believing in him, you can be saved. But it's not this belief. It's not the belief in your head. Just because you know in your head that Jesus is Lord does not mean you are saved. The blood had to be applied to the house and you had to stay in the house. Jesus says what? If you abide in me and I abide in you, that's a dwelling. Dwelling within something. The word abide has to be with under a covering. Under a covering that takes the weight off of you. Your sin is like a heavy weight. Your sin will crush you and kill you unless you are under the covering of Jesus Christ. Then he bears the weight. He already bore it on the cross. Just because you know it in your head doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you're here today doesn't mean you're saved. Until you have confessed your sin. Until you have asked Christ to save you. We talked about regeneration last night. Let's say, let's say we have Noel over here. And Noel is a womanizing drunk and a drug addict. Not that he is, he isn't. I'm just saying, let's say he is. And let's say he goes to church and he gets, the whole, he gets dancing around, he feels good. So he stops drinking, stops using drugs, and stops abusing women. Is he saved? No. He has brought his exterior into conformity with the Christian ideal, but he ain't saved. You say, we got Wayne over here. Now, Wayne over here has always been a good guy. No drinking, no smoking, no women. He's, he's celibate. He's good. He's all set. He's like a priest with no collar. But, but, no problems at all. But like this guy over here, he's never accepted Jesus Christ because he thinks he's good enough on his own. Is he going to make it to heaven? No. We got a person in the middle. Has made the mistakes in the past, continues to make mistakes. But desperately clings to Jesus Christ. The word believe means trust in, cling to, rely upon. You've been thrown in the ocean, you're going to drown unless you trust in, cling to, and rely upon that lifeboat. That's what Jesus Christ is. That's the difference between a religious person and a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. One of the people has climbed in the boat. The other one just says, that's a good-looking boat. I know that can save me. And sits in the water and dies. Rahab could have believed that the people of Israel were going to conquer the city. She could have believed that the God of Israel was the true God of heaven. But until she acted, until she put her faith, she was trusting her life, the life of her mother, father, brothers, and family. She was trusting everything to a scarlet piece of cord hanging out her window. All she had was the promise of God's people. They wouldn't kill her. She trusted everything in that promise. She gathered her family in. She brought them together. She begged them to stay inside. When the battle raged, she says, no, don't go out the door or you will die. Guess what? Everybody in the room was saved. You know why? Because God keeps his promises. Amen? God keeps his promises. Let's finish this up. 
And if you report our mission, we will be free from the oath that you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied. And she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. Notice, immediately, not waiting, not trying to second guess it, not trying to logically work it out. They left. She tied the cord in the window. You know why? She believed the scarlet cord would save her. And it did. We believe, we trust everything in Jesus Christ. Not our works, not our righteousness, not our good actions, not our personal cleaning up of our lives. We trust in him to make us into a new creation. That's how we get there. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way, but they did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicked because of us. That is the God of provision. He provided salvation for Rahab, salvation for her family. He provided safety in the hill country for three days. He provided safe travel across the Jordan River. The Jordan River at the wrong time of year is ugly. The Jordan River can be so quick, so swift moving that it sweeps away men and animals when it's really going. And they were crossing at flood season. So it was a miracle of God they got across safely twice. He provided all this and gave them the assurance that the people were panicked already and that they were going to have that victory. But it's immediate obedience that ensures no disaster. Let's say you're sitting here today and you've been in church your whole life. You know how to sing Amazing Grace without the hymn. You, you, know, you know that a tithe is 10%. You know that the four gospel writers are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Henry, right? Yeah, so slow. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Thank you. Hey, once I said, you know, open up to the book of Hezekiah. 20 minutes later, they're still looking for the book of Hezekiah. Come on. We know all this stuff. But today, as you sit here, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Not your works, not your goodness, not your church attendance. Do you know that you've confessed your sin, that you've asked him to come in and cleanse you according to 1 John 1, 9? If you have done that, all this is for you. So, do you see the light? My favorite sermon in history was preached by James Brown in the movie The Blues Brothers. He says, do you see the light? If you don't know James Brown, you don't know why that's funny. Anyways, he was just a singer. Four things and I'm done. Do you see how God's gracious hand has guided and protected you throughout your life? Do you? Do you see how God's gracious hand, the hand of God's grace, has provided and protected for you all throughout your life? Do you see that? If you don't see that God has uh, protected you, you will have no reason to trust him. Two, do you see how God has prepared you for a life um, that you have through his gracious gifts? Do you see the gifts he's given you? Love, faith, faith is a gift. Do you see that? Do you see how God has prepared you for this life? By giving you gifts, by giving you faith, by giving you a good church, by giving you a Bible study, by giving you faithful friends. Do you see that? Third, do you see God's gracious, how God's gracious hand found? I gotta wake up, I can't read. I should do glasses. Do you see God's gracious promises found in his word being fulfilled in your life every day? I want to stop on that one. 
Do you see God's promises fulfilled in your life every day? The psalmist said, I would have despaired if I did not believe I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You don't get God's goodness after you're dead. You get it now. That's why abundant life begins the second you are born again. Abundant life is here and now, not after. Afterwards is heaven. That's different. Abundant life is here and it's now. Do you have that in your life? Do you see those things at work? Or is every day just a trial to get through? You just have to work hard to stay alive every day. Is there no joy? There's no peace, no provision, no protection. You see, if all of these things are true, if you've seen all these things, then you're ready for conquest. You're ready for the conquest of your life, your job, your marriage, your home. This church will be ready to conquer this community when we know that God has given it into our hands. Everything around us, all these people, all these buildings, that campus, God has given to us. Now we need to stick out our hand and take it for the kingdom. Does that mean that suddenly everybody at North Carolina State is going to get saved? No. Does it mean that suddenly a revival is going to break out at North Carolina State and, and they're all going to quit their party and drinking and stuff and just come to Jesus? Probably not. Does it mean that there's somebody at North Carolina State University that needs to hear the gospel? Oh, yeah. Is it possible there's somebody in this church that God is preparing right now through gifts, through the infilling of the Spirit, and your job is to touch that person's life for Jesus Christ? Yes. Bible study teachers, your job is to love the Lord so much and live in that word so much that when you bring it to your people, it is like living water, it is like manna from heaven. That's God's preparation in you to give as a blessing to others. Notice that everything here is grace. All of this is grace, 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 grace. Without God's grace, we can't do anything, amen? amen. All right, as we pray today, I want you to pray one thing for me. Today I, I get a rare privilege. Uh, most pastors don't get a chance to do this. I get to travel to the great thriving metropolis of Rocky Mount, which I think is somewhere that way. I get to go out there today and I get to preach. The pastor is tired and he needs a break. It's Pastor Balasoto. Yeah. It's a small Filipino church in Rocky Mount. They meet in a community church. And so at 4 o'clock, I get a chance to go out there and preach to them. I want you to pray for me today that God would bring this message to them in a way that will bless them and strengthen them and give them the same courage that I know we already have as a church. Because sometimes when you're a little church, it's easy to get intimidated. It's easy to see that the walled cities can't come down. We can't conquer this university. We can't crack the, the homeless population. We can't do anything here. Yes, we can. If God gives us victory, amen? amen. So as we pray today, I want you to pray that I would have strength to go out there today and to preach this word for them and find a way to put it to them in such a way that they will be able to hear it and receive it and, and act on it. All right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you.